0: So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Venue 2 Plus, Garmin's GPS smartwatch with advanced health and fitness features to help you better understand your body. Plus, you'll get an uninterrupted picture of your health with up to nine days of battery life in smartwatch mode. Head over to garmin.com.au and use the code LEANNE15 for 15% off your very own Venue 2 Plus. On today's podcast episode, we welcome back Peter Carriage, who is one of Australia's leading sports dietitians, who focuses on maximizing performance by providing simple, practical, and individualized advice. Peter has worked with a range of athletes, including Olympic gold medalists and premier winning players from the Brisbane Broncos and also the Newcastle Knights. She specializes in performance nutrition, corporate presenting, and meal plans. In today's episode, we discuss the sports supplements that actually work. We chat through protein powders, BCAAs, beta alanine fat burners, beetroot juice, creatine, tart cherries, and finally HMB. Peter also gives us her top tips on supplements and her one piece of advice all our listeners should be doing. So grab a pen and paper as this episode has lots of practical tips. So let's dive right in. Welcome back to the podcast, Peter. It's a pleasure to have you back on today chatting all things sports supplements um, that actually work. (laughs) Ah, Thank you for having me. It's a million dollar question. It is, isn't it? I was going to say, it's an exciting topic. Like there are so many supplementations out there, but there is some really cool research behind quite a few of them. So I'm excited to have you back on the podcast today, giving our listeners all of your um, knowledge and wisdom in this area of supplements. I'm happy to be here. And for our listeners who haven't heard the first podcast that we did with Peter, um, she was a gem and talked us through how to actively gain muscle mass and the things that we need to be doing from a nutrition and a lifestyle perspective to actively gain some muscle mass. So flick back in the podcast catalog and have a listen to that one if you didn't first. Um but today, Peter, I'd love to start off with um, I guess just having a little chat about why evidence-based nutrition is important um and why you're so passionate about that, particularly when it comes to supplements, because um there's just oh what there's hundreds thousands millions of them out there. They all say that they do something. They all promise the world, but very few of them actually have the research to back it. So why is it as a sports dietitian you're passionate about providing this evidence-based advice to our listeners?
1: Great question. So uh, it needs to be evidence-based because you don't want to be adding anything in that's actually not going to benefit somebody first and foremost, but also in the elite world, supplements also ha- I have a little bit of an element of risk due to contamination and positive drug testing and that risk has increased exponentially with the growth of the supplement industry like it's a multi-billion billion dollar industry as we know so you want to be using things that actually have evidence to support the fact that they would actually work. But then interestingly, where I think it becomes extremely confusing is you need to understand the evidence as a sports dietitian because with certain supplements, what how they recommend to take it on the packet or the dosage that they recommend to take is not actually the dosage that has evidence to support that it will work so it is actually a lot more confusing and complicated than what what most people would understand um so that's where i think you really need to be on top of the evidence if you're working with these elite athletes
0: Mm. and i think a lot of companies will over prescribe the supplement or say to take more on the back of the packet so that they sell more volume of product if that makes sense like i know a lot of protein powders are like take 40 to 45 grams Um, most people just don't need that much if we're simply using it to boost up um, you know the protein content of our breakfast and we've got some milk we've got a bit of yogurt in there we might need an extra 10-15 grams to get us to where we kind of need to be we don't need the full 45 grand scoop but if we're using that every time we're going to go through a lot more and buy a lot more so i think from their perspective i mean you know they're out to make money they're a company yeah so they're always going to sort of over prescribe um aren't they
1: <laughs> yes oh you've nailed it and i think the two things i always remind people is that it's a it's a billion dollar industry that is, is growing exponentially and they suggest on all their packets that they solve everything and they help with fat loss and muscle mass gain yet as a a nation and as a world we're still becoming more and more overweight so you can almost say that our, our the rate of weight gain of of us plus the growth of supplements is actually increasing at the same rate so you know, they're not really solving any health problems if you actually ste- take a step back and look at it from that perspective. But as we discussed in our previous podcast, Leanne, that we're looking for that protein distribution. So, one of the first things I often do if people are having a protein powder is I make sure they're actually including it with some food and then we significantly reduce the amount they're adding. So, there might be only like half a scoop or a quarter of a, a portion of what they are having because at the end of the day, they want to sell their products and they're not controlled, which I don't really want to go into because that's a whole nother world um but the supplement industry so from an idea to market is six weeks whereas if you're looking at a drug or pharmaceutical item then from idea to actually being on the shelf is six years with rigorous testing etc so there's no one controlling the supplement market so anyone can kind of put anything out there and put on a pretty label and they do a lot a lot of research into their labels um
0: and then people tend to buy them because they're looking for a quick fix mm-hmm. it's a bit scary isn't it and it's just it's not the same as a supplement isn't the same as food and we have you know pretty strict regulations in terms of food labeling and allergens and that sort of thing when it comes to food but that same labeling doesn't exist when it comes to supplements and you can order so many things of just like iherb.com and you know the internet and the ebay and that sort of thing and even though it's not sold or kind of It's not that it's not legal in Australia. It's just not probably safe or recommended, but you can import it from another country and, you know, nobody says anything. And I was watching... Oh, what are those like terrible sort of news shows, like A Current Affair or something, there was some young girl on there who ended up in hospital with some huge cardiac issues. She nearly died because she was taking these huge amounts of fat burners, which she'd imported from somewhere in America. And when she actually looked into it, um, it wasn't ever sold on the Australian market because it didn't pass the, the, that sort of testing. Um, and yeah, she nearly died from just taking these fat burners every day. Um, and I just think, oh, like, yeah, so supplements, <laughs> they have a lot to answer for. But we're going to talk about a few today that have evidence behind them. But how do you feel about, I guess, just general supplement use for your elite athletes compared to your what we're going to call everyday weekend warriors, someone like myself who you know, just wants to train for general fitness and for health, but I'm not obviously an athlete. I'm not getting paid to train. I don't have sponsorship, that sort of thing. Where is the difference, I guess, for supplement use between the elite and the everyday kind of um trained individual?
1: Yes. So I think when we're talking about supplements, it's important to think about why they were created. So they were created because elite athletes you know, were training at the rowing sheds and then to get from the rowing sheds back to the food hall was a really big time delay by the time they rinsed their boats, et cetera. So it's about that portability and convenience of meeting their nutritional requirements, which is was energy and protein okay so now that's i suppose been blown out of proportion completely so the way i even recommend it to general population is i might use supplements if we do need them for a convenience factor because they don't have access like they're they're rushing from uh, the gym to work and need something to meet their nutritional requirements and don't have time to eat something or have something at work so i definitely try and Use that prompt of Do I need something that is convenient to meet my nutritional requirements as a reason to use them? Mm -hmm. At the elite level, I think there's a really, because of social media, um, I think it is assumed that all athletes use supplements, um, even at the elite level, and that's not the case. Uh, With the Rugby Sevens, girls like very few of them used anything besides the protein powder, but not even all of them use protein powders before the 2016 Olympic Games. And if I did, I incorporated that into food like protein balls. So they're getting nutrients as well as protein powder. With my Olympic athletes just gone, I would say only 70% of them were using supplements. So there's lots of athletes going to the Olympics, not taking any supplements at all. So I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and then also the supplements are used in the elite area as the sprinkling on the top. All professional sports and all, uh, I suppose, government-funded elite sports have a food-first policy. So we're always trying to make sure the athletes have a quality training program, a quality nutrition program, their diet plans. Uh, they've got a, they know how to cook. They've got a great nutrition plan, and then we start adding in supplements and then things that we call ergogenic aids. We would only use around like literally lean up to the, an olympic games
0: isn't that interesting that 70 percent of your olympic athletes were only using supplements whereas i'm not even joking i reckon 99.9 percent of the clients that i've worked with this year are taking some sort of supplement in some sort of form so i've got normal everyday clients taking supplements yeah the elite the best in the world are not taking them isn't that interesting just how we've been marketed at to feel like we need them
1: yes no and marketing is very very powerful and look some of them or some of them uh, you know that actually won medals only introduced supplements literally in a few months leading up to the olympic games so i think we're, we're really got skewed, I suppose, ideas around supplements. And then how I also then remind general population or my, my typical clients to say, so if, are we using it for convenience? And then secondly, if we don't need it, if we can meet your requirements through food, how much money are you going to save? And with that money, can you afford an additional training session or to see you know a qualified sports dietitian, Or can you pay for a massage to aid your recovery? So they're expensive. <laughs> they're very expensive products. So that money, it's a lot of money. Or can you use it to top up on your fruit and vegetables halfway through the week because you run out the back end of the week. Um so yeah, the expense is definitely something to consider.
0: Mm, absolutely. And when it comes to athletes, what edge would you say that supplements give them I and mean, we're talking the best of the best in the world when we think about you know nutrition and diet or sure, like nutrition and exercise surely that makes up what 60 70 80 percent of the benefit that they're going to get and then we look at things like you know the distribution of nutrients the timing of nutrients sleep and stress where do supplements fit in that um are we talking that they're a couple of percentage benefit perhaps or maybe a little bit more a little bit less than that so i think you, like
1: your baseline supplements such as your creatine and protein powders, which are going to be used by, if you talked like league and rugby union by, I'd say, you know, 85% of the athletes. So they're really important at the elite level because these athletes are training all day, every day you know 5 or 6 days a week and 6 days a week in pre-season. So they need those supplements to actually help them meet their energy requirements and meet their protein requirements. So it's almost essential just to help them meet their day-to-day requirements to be able to maintain their training load. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily essential for the you know i suppose plastered on the front labels what they're what they're helping them the supplements are saying that they're helping with um and then your ergogenic aids which are things like your you know caffeine and beta alanine that's you know one to three percent and it's not even um accumulative so you need to then find an individual what one of those ergogenic aids actually works for that individual athlete and then that's the one we use and that's the one we use accurately to help them with that one one to three percent benefit but you can't use all of the ergogenic aids and then you don't add up to a six percent performance benefit if that makes sense (laughs) so it's not even accumulative and even then you need to make sure you're using it at the right time Mm. and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand also is that not all supplements work for everyone
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: when we're talking about those ergogenic aids so some people it actually has an adverse effect the same as any I suppose drug so you need to find what works for you
0: Mm, definitely yeah and so that's I guess athletes is those ergogenic aids are one to three percent what about everyday people like you and I um you know if we're just training for life or training to, you know, maintain our fitness and that sort of thing any, I guess, benefit for a lot of these supplementations besides, I guess, a standard protein and a creatine if we're trying to actively gain muscle mass? Would you say most of them are just our money's better off spent elsewhere, such as with a professional, like a sports dietitian? Save your
1: pennies. Yes, save your pennies. Or the best pre-workout, I always say, is a banana and a
0: coffee. Yeah, that's literally my advice as well. It's the most natural and it's the best. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I think just find the food version And, and very, you know, like, Collagen. There's additional research. I mean, coming out that you know it may benefit other. So if you have a specific injury, you know I might recommend an a, additional supplement around that. But then once again, you need to take it at the right time. And also, all the collagen came out in supplements, and it just went gangbusters based on one research study mm. that was done was very specific and it had low uh, numbers initially and. Honestly, within two weeks of that one journal coming out, there was collagen already in supplements. So that's how quickly the industry is onto it. Yet, um, sports dietitians are the people that sit between the research and the supplement companies and make sure people are actually using them correctly. There is growing research in that area, but it's actually not out yet. So, you know, that's something that we might prescribe to someone that had you know, severe, an injury that they're recovering from. Mm. But other than that, um... Yeah, I'd probably just say, save your money. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Well, let's go through some of these supplements more specifically. Um, and I guess the application to, I would say just the general everyday, everyday person, because I think if you're an elite athlete, you you really should like hand on heart be seeing a sports dietitian one-on-one, like your trainer is just as important as your dietitian. So I'm going to make the assumption that anyone who's of that elite level or, you know, um, looking for those serious performance gains or getting paid to you know train um, or sponsored or anything like that really should have access to their own sports dietitian for this sort of personalized advice but in general let's just talk about it as an application um, i guess as a as an everyday athlete like myself (laughs) yes i'm interrupting this podcast to bring you a quick update from today's episode sponsor the venue 2 plus is garmin's gps smartwatch that helps you keep your body moving with more than 25 built-in indoor and gps sports apps including walking running cycling hit swimming golf and many more Download up to 650 songs to your watch and connect it with your wireless headphones for phone free listening. Leave your cash and cards at home with Garmin pay contactless payments that let you pay for purchases on the go and enjoy the convenience of making and taking phone calls from your wrist when paired with your compatible Apple or Android smartphone. Plus when connected the venue 2 plus includes indecent detection and assistance both of which can call or send a message with your live location to emergency. Context. So head on over to Garmin.com.au and use the code Leanne15, 15% for off your very own Venue 2+. Now let's head on back to our podcast. So protein powders, um, whey and plant-based protein powders, which ones are better? Which one's going to give us more bang for our buck? And do the large majority of us need them if our gain, if, if the goal is, um, you know, for most people, it's gaining a bit of muscle mass and dropping or maintaining body fat. I think that's the goal for a large percentage of people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's, uh, with your different protein powders, I think the, the biggest difference with the ones on the market is the type of protein or amino acids that make them up. So as you said, like the whey versus casein versus soy versus plant-based. And as I kind of said that, that's kind of, from the best or the 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 most readily absorbed by our body, it goes in that order. Uh, when we would use them is, as I said, it's just actually to help. Uh, meet your energy requirements. So some of the protein powders will contain protein, but they'll also contain carbohydrates. So if you're someone that really struggles to meet your energy requirements and struggles to therefore meet your protein requirements, you'd want one that's like a 50-50 blend. So protein and carbohydrates to help you achieve those energy requirements. Otherwise, most people are just using a whey protein and you're using that to help You with the convenience to meet your protein requirements after training conveniently or to top up your protein distribution across the day. So, Mm -hmm. exactly as you said, so you might be making a smoothie and it comes to about 10 grams of protein. So, we're adding a little bit of whey protein to boost it up to 20 grams of protein. So, that's how the protein powders can be used for the general population. Just with the vegan powders, which are quite common, you need the similar if a dietitian was helping someone with a uh, vegan or vegetarian diet to optimize their amino acid profile, you need to just check the back and make sure you've got a, a legume or lentils, so it might be like a pea uh, and a rice protein combined. And that gives you the best amino acid to help with the absorption. So that's something where it's actually worth just looking at the back of them because they're not all made the same. So you want a combination of a grain and a legume, similar to what you would achieve in your diet. Um, but that's how I would use a protein powder. So they have a small role um, to top up your protein distribution, or if you need them because you you just don't, you're nowhere near food to meet your post-workout protein intake.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think there's a large sort of, I guess, misconception that plant-based protein is is better. Yes. Um, and it's, it's not, it, it's, I guess, not as superior as what whey-based protein is. The body utilizes whey and uptakes and it absorbs it a hell of a lot easier than it does plant-based protein. So for plant-based protein, we need more of it and the body doesn't utilize or absorb it um, as readily or as easily. Is that correct? Correct. And then the other
1: one that's out there, and this is probably more for the the, the male general population, population, if they walked into a supplement store, they would be sold a WPI for post-workout and be told to have way more than they need. And then they'd also be the then sold like a casein Casein at at nighttime. (laughs) The best casein at nighttime is a glass of milk. So once again, save your money. And milk has the perfect combination of OPI and casein slow release overnight to help you with any of that muscle mass growth and repair. So once again, save your money and support the local Australian farmers, dairy farmers.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. So that's a, a really good summary of protein powder. And I guess like, we just—it's not needed. Like it can—it can be helpful for some people, but it's absolutely not the thing that's going to give us the results. Like a lot of people sort of think. I think we put a lot more—like over, we overemphasize how beneficial a protein powder might be, but underemphasize getting our nutrition and our training regime right, don't we? Correct. Yeah,
1: and I also that energy budget needs to be considered. So some females a protein powder, especially if they're not sure of how to read the label, could put them well over their energy budget. So
0: you need to be careful that it. It's not actually working against you mm-hmm. and protein bars are the same like i've seen oh. protein bars upwards of you know like three four hundred yes. calories or some of them have like you know 35 40 grams of protein in there yes. and i just think yeah again like especially for females like just not needed and probably too many calories for a snack for most of us yes. if the goal is fat loss
1: and so with the
0: protein bars that's a
1: great my tip to females is always like it's more i use it as a emergency snack because they can sit in your handbag if you like them this is and they don't go off like Mm -hmm. they've got an amazing shelf life um so and then I always say you take you know a bite or a third or maximum a half at a time and it's more as like to tie you over until you can get to your next meal or get to your next point and and consume something so they're more as like a great tie over snack emergency snack but they shouldn't be used to help you meet your protein requirement because they're just too high in
0: energy Mm -hmm. All right. So that's protein ticked off. What about BCAAs or um, I guess branched-chain amino acids? Because people in my gym drink them regularly, like during their workout even. And I'm like, it's it's okay. Your your muscles, mass isn't disappearing just because you're doing your bicep curls. (laughs) So how do you feel about branched-chain amino acids? So
1: look, at the elite level, they are used a little bit, but the evidence is that they're best used post-workout when you don't have access you're not meeting your protein requirements or your protein amino acids so why that is is because the branch chain amino acids has that elusive leucine in it so it will help you absorb get some leucine and it helps you stimulate some muscle synthesis if you don't have access or dislike a protein powder or achieving you know meeting your leucine and and protein requirements through food if that makes Mm -hmm. sense so that's how there's a little bit of evidence to say like it's better than having nothing mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense you definitely should not be consuming them during your workout because it actually bluntens the impact of your post-training protein so it actually negatively impacts what you're trying to achieve um, so yes it's it's been well marketed the branch chain amino acids and they are yeah used in excess by a lot of people that probably shouldn't. Anecdotally, because as I said, I don't use protein powders a lot for female athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my female athletes will have amino acids post gym with some protein food recovery and they report that you know that combination really helps with recovery and uh, muscle soreness from the sessions so that's how I use them at the elite level Um, and anecdotally I I do think they help with that muscle soreness Mm -hmm. but that is once again very specific and taking into consideration you know their training loads and their entire protein distribution across the day etc so that's the only time I would really use them at the elite level but for the general population if you're completely adverse or can't get to protein and you don't want to take a protein powder then it's better than nothing but that's still post training but more and more evidence is basically saying as far as supplement on the market they don't need to be there. Mm
0: Mm -hmm. But they can be helpful for some people. And especially if you're on a really, really tight energy budget, like I I know a lot of the sort of um, girls doing bikini comps and and that sort of thing where they are on really tight energy budgets, it can be helpful because you can get that, you know, two to three grams of leucine that's required for a lot less energy wise than what a protein powder might give you. Exactly. So, and that's really the only place it really should be used for
1: general population. But once again, you're talking about extreme athletes then that are training in an, you know, an energy deficit or very small energy budget. I think for general population, it's probably not one that should be on the shopping list.
0: Okay. And how do you feel about beta alanine? Because I know, is it swimmers that there's actually some good research in or the high intensity sort of short, sharp bursts of activity?
1: Yeah, so beta alanine buffers lactic acid by up to sixty percent intramuscularly. So it is used at the elite level with a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about that at the elite level, buffering lactic acid is really important. So at the elite level, we would use that in um, during preseason or in training where they're doing like lactic acid blocks, so they can push themselves harder to push through those lactic acid sessions, and then around performance. So that would be used once again, that's one of those supplements that my athletes would only take in the lead up to Olympics. Other than that, they're not really taking it even for big competitions that aren't the Olympics. A, it's expensive. You need to load on it appropriately. Um, You need to buy it in from New Zealand. Like there's not many places that actually um, sell it. You need to have it prescribed from a dietician because what's on the label is not how it's meant to be taken. Um, So for general population, I would definitely not bother. Yeah. Save your money. Yep. Save your money. Great. But it does work. It does work. Absolutely. If you take it properly. And that's
0: one of those one to three percenters. And exactly. If your goal is not to compete at the Olympics or to get the PB of your lifetime, your money is better spent elsewhere.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay. Let's put this one to bed once and for all fat burners Uh, are they needed do they do anything
1: oh my goodness well as we like fat burners and pre-workout we can almost like kind of throw them in the same category yeah they're always mixed in together in the same supplement anyway aren't they they are they are so the active ingredient in those pre-workouts and fat burners is just caffeine (laughs) So that goes back to our previous point of the best pre-workout you can have is a coffee and some carbohydrates you actually train at a quality level. So there's all these different things, they're sayings in there and different types of green tea and this and that. And they put caffeine under a lot of different names. So you have to be really careful because you often don't know how much caffeine you're taking. And with elite athletes, I've had a lot of elite athletes get into trouble with this. So Mm -hmm. there is a very popular pre-workout on the market. And one serve is in its tiny, tiny, tiny writing. One serve, which is 270 milligrams of caffeine is three quarters of a scoop so a most people aren't reading the label and if there's a tiny scoop provided they're assuming that it's one scoop so automatically you're up to over 300 milligrams of caffeine and then if you have a young athlete that isn't aware and there's this whole like more is better Mm. um i suppose uh thinking around supplements and they're taking two to three scoops they have had yeah real problems and so a performance goes down heart rate can't come down you're talking around 750 milligrams of caffeine. So they're actually quite dangerous if you don't know how to read labels. And just to put that in perspective, you know, a standard coffee is around 90 to 100 milligrams of caffeine. So already at a serve, you're having almost three coffees. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say they're dangerous. They don't help at all. You're better off actually getting your food correct across the entire week and putting
0: that money into a few more pieces of fruit and vegetables. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. And then one that has some exciting research in the last couple of years is nitrate or beetroot juice.
1: Yeah. So it it is cool. So it is a vasodilate, which is um, basically opens up your blood vessels so you can work harder for longer. It's one that's more work, used at the elite level with your uh, endurance athletes, I suppose. Um, and Look, beetroot juice in itself has some health benefits to it, Mm -hmm. you know, so it has some great antioxidant benefits and it's not going to do any harm. But even at the elite level, incorporating this in regular training, we try and just use real food. So, what I might do from my perspective is, you know, the day before a game and day of game, I'll make sure there's some beetroot on the menu, you know. So, I I don't think even at the elite level it is used very often because you have to take it, um, you have to dose on it appropriately to actually get the performance enhancing benefit. Um, So, at the general population level, I would once again save your money. But if you're doing your first marathon and you know, you're know you eating a bit more beetroot during heavy training loads and closer to the event, then that's fabulous as well. I think we really underestimate what benefits we can achieve from food.
0: Yeah, because I've seen some really fancy sort of concentrated beetroot almost like shots where yep. you're supposed to just have like half or one to shot. And, yeah, I think, you know, people forget we can actually just eat beetroot. We're going to get the same benefit from Correct. the nitrates as well. Plus all the other extra nutrients contained in the beetroot as well.
1: Yes, which we don't, you know, we don't really – we can't replicate those micronutrients. And I know there was a research study that came out about – I was pronounced this wrongly, and gosh, the and antioxidant, um, and recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was like, but I've always just made my recovery smoothies with frozen blueberries for my athletes. And so they've been naturally getting them. So I think, you know, and looking at ways to, you know, concentrate doses of that. And like, I think if we just eat the right foods around the right times, we can actually, achieve some really positive results definitely yeah whole foods always first
0: um and then creatine something that you know as sports dietitians we can use a lot particularly for our female athletes and our plant-based athletes um, but it's funny because i feel like the only people i hear of ever taking creatine are like our young males who are probably the people that need it the least <laughs> yes um how do you feel about creatine um for our athletes and for our general sort of everyday you know training individuals yes so i think creatine is one of these supplements that now is actually moving
1: to you know Almost like vitamin, you know, with D in the sense it's almost like we're now perceiving it as a as almost like a vitamin. So um, I think it has lots of additional benefits. Unfortunately, creatine and as you've said is being used by the body bulking male gym members because that's where a lot of the research originated from. Whereas it has a lot of benefits and application to female athletes and to especially plant-based athletes and to just general population. It, it's got a high relevance to as we age, so masters, which is over 35, which unfortunately I fall into that category. And there's a lot of research coming out about the cognitive benefits of it. So uh, some of my athletes that competed this Olympics, um, they took it more for the cognitive benefits of it for their competition rather than the the physiological like muscle mass okay because it can help you build muscle mass if you load on it but a maintenance dose is not necessarily going to have huge impacts on that, but it might help you maintain what muscle mass you have. Mm-hmm. So that's where if you're coming up for a period where you're, you have an injury or surgery and you want to maintain your gains, that might be a good time to have, you know, a maintenance dose of creatine, which is five grams a day. Post-baby hot tip, it helps with memory. So they use it in the army to help with um, memory Function and cognitive function when you're sleep deprived. So there is a lot of cool applications of creatine. It's one that probably more people should be taking. And you just need a straight creatine monohydrate, and you don't need in a lot of uh, a large dose. You don't need to load. Um, just the five grams a day. Um, so yeah, I think it's actually a cool supplement which more people should possibly take. The the king of creatine research, if you want to look up more, and I'm sure he's done multiple podcasts, is. Eric Rawson. Um, So he is amazing and he's done a lot into the area of creatine and a a lot of that cognitive and brain function, a lot of the research around creatine has come out or is coming out around that area because it's been researched with its role in concussion and helping post concussive um, recovery of the brain. So it's actually a really cool supplement um, and it's one that you know, I'm sure you could do a whole podcast on, but as females, we have a fear of it because we think creatine results in huge amounts of weight gain, which is not the case. It actually would help us maintain those really small muscle mass uh, gains that we are able to achieve. It would actually help us maintain those because mm-hmm. it's really difficult for us to gain muscle mass, but also we tend to lose it a lot faster as well. Um, so that's one that I think more people should probably take advantage of, um, and it's underutilized for the general population.
0: And I think it really helps to understand what happens, you know, if we load on creatine, for example, the body's just going to store a bit more water. So yes, you will see an increase in the scale weight, um, if you're loading on creatine, but it's not necessarily, it's not like you'll gain, you're actively gaining fat mass, right? Like the scale might go up a little bit because of some of those fluid balance shifts. Um, and that's just a natural thing that happens when you load on creatine
1: yeah correct and it doesn't happen with everyone that will happen a lot more with female because you Mm -hmm. think about it we we also because of our hormones retain fluid a little bit more than our male counterparts so we will see a little bit of a weight shift in the scale but we don't need to do a fast load with creatine we can just take five grams over 28 days and do a slow load um, and see those benefits fast loading i would only recommend if people were doing the appropriate training with that Mm. um and I don't know if people want to know more about that, but that's that high-intensity, repetitive resistance training. So you know, um, uh, powerlifting with a sh- with a measurable or a short turnaround time between lifts. So that's where you. So you actually want to be matching your supplement if you're taking it like that to your training appropriately to get the most out of taking uh, doing a creatine load, I suppose, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Otherwise. I think a lot of people, general population could benefit from it, but more just a daily dose of that, you know, three to five grams a day.
0: Yeah. And particularly, as we mentioned, our plant-based athletes, because you can actually yes. eat creatine in a lot of your, you know, animal product foods, but if you're somebody who is plant-based, you're just not going to be getting in as much as somebody who was eating animal products. So probably even more beneficial if your goal is muscle gain and you're a plant-based um, athlete or just general person. Yes, absolutely. Which we're seeing a lot more of. So yeah, that's,
1: that's actually a good one. And But just shop around. There's lots of good creatine monohydrates. You don't need to buy the dearest on the market, especially if it's an Australian product. So probably a side note that the Australian-based supplements tend to be um, better quality. So there's no guarantee with supplements what they say is on the label. Actually, it doesn't have to be in there, which is scary. But... Um, Australian products tend to be of a better quality. So they're more likely what they say is on the label is actually the the amount and quality of creatine that's in
0: it. And definitely utilising um, a sports dietitian so you can get an accurate amount for your training load and some good brand recommendations as well. Because yeah. I think starting supplements yourself, just because you heard it on a podcast, probably isn't um, the advice that we're looking to give out. Definitely that personalised advice from a sports dietitian is what we're both recommending, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And you've got to get your diet correct first. Yes.
0: So yes. It's not a miracle supplement.
1: Hopefully the plant-based uh, listeners out there that are trading three times a week that haven't actually seen someone to make sure their diet amino acid profile and intake is correct first, don't just go out and buy a creatine. <laughs> Wonderful.
0: Okay. And then I've got two more left for you. Um, tart cherries. I've seen some really, um, some emerging research in terms of um, helping with a little bit of sleep, but I know that sometimes tar- there is some research for tart cherries and um, sports nutrition, as well, isn't there?
1: Absolutely. So, tart cherry juice and it comes in um, concentrated form in sports nutrition. So, it helps with recovery um, and then also sleep. So, your tart cherry juice naturally stimulates melatonin. So, you know, before bed, um, it, it can help with sleep, which I think is going to be a growing area, especially post pandemic. There's a, a lot of people who are struggling with sleep due to other reasons. So, looking to foods for these natural, sources that can help with sleep and recovery, I think is really important. And then in, in a professional setting, it is used once again, um, so pre and post and in, in specific loading cases to help with recovery. So at the elite level, we would use it for teams or if we've got really short turnaround to aid with recovery and muscle soreness. Um, and it, it has that anti-inflammatory effect. So it helps recovery in that way as well so you would use it like post an intense session but then also you might want to take it before bed um, interestingly you know at the olympic level not a huge amount of athletes having it unless they actually wanted to utilize it for the sleep side of things um, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where i think same as beetroot, true you can you can utilize um food real food and buy tart cherry juice and
0: um use that yourself to get some great benefits Mm, definitely yeah it's very it's sort of one of our more newer emerging supplements isn't it like there's still there's not a whole lot of research on it or sort of case studies on it just yet
1: no and I think more will come out Mm -hmm. um and once again even at the elite level you know so yes it aids recovery um and athletes will report that they feel better and they feel less sore but how much of that is placebo, you know? Mm. And at the elite level, when you've got the budget to spend on supplements, you don't care if it's placebo or if it's actually working because it, it still counts. Like placebo effect, you know, is still a performance benefit um, and definitely contributes to improved performance. So at the elite level, like if it's if it's working due to physiological changes or if it's working because of placebo, it's still working. Mm. Um, But in general population, some tart cherry juice, especially if you've had a hard training day or if you struggle to wind down after a late session, Mm -hmm. that might be a nice thing to implement and Mm -hmm. there's some real food sources out there.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. And then lastly, the supplement I wanted to finish on was um, HMB. Any research around HMB or I guess um, the application to athletes or everyday athletes?
1: This is an interesting one, Leanne. I don't know why you chose HMB. So HMB at the elite level is actually being used less and less for two reasons, because it's actually quite difficult to get your hands on Mm -hmm. um so it's not being produced as much but it's one of those things that would be sprinkled in a lot of supplements that are sold to general population but they're not the supplements that we would use with elite athletes because hmb once again we would use in a pure form which is actually quite difficult to obtain Um, hmb we use as to help you know maintain muscle mass and it's used more in like the ultra endurance so when they're under like your tour de france cyclists you know to maintain their muscle mass when they're burning a crazy amount of energy and doing a lot of work so they would be on hmb um so you would or you would use it to maintain muscle mass once again when you're in a severe energy deficit so that's you know your tour de france cyclists or if you're your bodybuilders or body sculptors are in an severe like an energy deficit and trying to maintain as much muscle mass they would take hmb at the elite level though it's actually not commonly used as much anymore um because of yeah access issues mm. and also if you think about it at the elite level in professional sport, and we're in australia it doesn't have a lot of applications so um The only time I would use it is for when athletes are injured. So they've got a significantly reduced load and we want to make sure they maintain their muscle mass. But it's actually just um, too hard to acquire safe, so batch tested HMB these days. So it's actually just not being used as much and it's expensive it's really expensive
0: mm, and as you said creatine may do similar things
1: exactly yeah so like an injury protocol at the elite level we would use ideally like creatine um, some fish oil for anti-inflammatory and hmb at the correct dosages but the hmb's kind of fallen off that protocol because of yeah it's it's expensive and it's it's, le- it's difficult to obtain But that's its role. And you will see, especially if you're buying supplements from overseas, you'll see it like a sprinkling of it in products, but probably not enough for it to actually have a benefit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So those proprietary blends, which have, or we call them stacked supplements that have a little bit of lots of different things. Mm -hmm. A lot of those little bits of different things, you know, there might be a little bit of beta alanine there, a little bit of creatine, a little bit of leucine, a little bit of HMB. But the amount in there, it makes the label look fancy. It means they can charge more for the product. But the amount of all those individual products are not adequate enough to actually have benefit to you Mm. so that's once again the supplement companies being very creative in how they market and sell their products Mm. um to most people and even like dietitians versus sports dietitians would have no idea what they're looking for which is okay yeah
0: yeah and the benefit of seeing a specialist
1: sports dietitian like yourself (laughs) yeah look i I save people a lot of money (laughs) don't go see your accountant come see a sports dietitian
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you need a budget. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, a lot of people spend a lot of money on supplements, but that money could be, you know, better spent in a lot of other things. Absolutely. And then Peter, finally to end the podcast, um, if you had one thing to leave our listeners with regarding supplementation, what would your sort of final take home or parting message be for our listeners?
1: Have you nailed your training and have you nailed your food? first before you even think about supplements it's really in it's it's been ingrained and marketed to us as a quick fix and it's just not the case so I think don't forget the basics first and at the elite level that's really hammered into athletes from a young age you know food first training quality rest recovery but the general population don't have access to that they don't have you know personal strength and conditioners and dietitians etc so um, they kind of fall for the marketing a little bit more so definitely you can achieve most
0: things just through food and I think you
1: could probably save a lot of money
0: amazing well you have provided our listeners with so much more knowledge again so thank you so much for that and just before we wrap up can you let our listeners know where they can follow you on socials um, and get in touch with you via your website and potentially book in for like a consultation um because i know that you don't have a huge amount of availability but you do sort of see clients um, all around the world as well
1: yes so uh i'm on instagram as just um peter carriage underscore dietitian and i have a clinic at start training stafford so but if you go to my website petercarish.com you can see how to book in online with me and i do do lots of online consults and in-person consults because i'm lucky to have people around australia that refer to me which i absolutely love
0: so in person and online
1: yes yes all
0: right peter well thank you again so much for joining us again it's been a pleasure and um, we really appreciate all the wisdom that you have taught our listeners today it's been a pleasure i
1: hope it helped thank you